بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولهما بعد الحمد لله it's our uh, regular sisters حلقة uh, our sisters حلقة which is um, are we live or not yeah. we are live okay الحمد لله because they have technical issues we're starting late apologies about that um, our sisters حلقة which is supposed to be uh, in our sisters section but as you're aware we are um, uh, under lockdown mode right now, uh, and so we are broadcasting uh, from our green studio. Um, the topic that I wanted to do today is a topic that is relevant to all of us, brothers and sisters, um, and it is a topic that deals with uh, the issue of sins and the effects of sins. And this is going to be part one. There's also going to be a part two, inshallah, uh, next time we have our sisters' haraqah. Uh, and uh, I mentioned in my khutbah that I gave uh, at Epic um, uh, last, not this Friday, but the Friday before that, uh, that we do need to be frank and understand that what we are seeing now of this lockdown and of the spread of this virus, we have theological certainty that this is a generic type of punishment for our collective sins. Now, this doesn't mean that every one of us is guilty. It doesn't mean that every one of us is necessarily being punished at an individual level. Rather, the goal is that we want to come out protecting our individual level uh, punishment, and the collective punishment will only be lifted when collectively we return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, in today's talk, I wanted to discuss the reality of sin and what are the categories of sins. And in order to get there, we have to first of all begin by talking about the reality of iman, the reality of faith, because sins contradict faith. And of course, iman is the Quranic term for belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But iman is more than just belief. And that's really something that deep down inside many of us understand, but very few of us have really studied in detail. Iman is more than just believing that there's a God out there. Iman actually consists of many different facets. And included in that is, of course, a knowledge of the heart, a knowledge of the intellect that Allah is my creator, that the Prophet ﷺ is my prophet, that the Qur'an is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that knowledge that is conceptual, that is theoretical, in and of itself, it does not equate to the Qur'anic term Iman. And there are many, many, many evidences for this. But the most obvious evidence that really should be very clear to every Muslim out there, is the uh, reality of Iblis, Shaytan himself. Because if you look at Shaytan, Iblis, in particular the first Shaytan, because Shaytan is a generic term. If you look at Iblis, Iblis knows that Allah exists, that Allah is the Khaliq, that Allah is the Rabb. Iblis knows that there is a Qiyamah, in fact, he made dua to Allah, قَالَ رَبِّ أَنظِرْنِي إِلَى يَوْمِ يبعثون. Oh Allah, allow me to live until the day of judgment. So he called Allah Rabb, and he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he believes in a qiyamah, and he believes in his heart. I mean, he knows that Allah has sent these prophets. And yet, Iblis is obviously not a mu'min. So if Iman had only been acknowledging Allah, knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Iblis would be number one in Iman because he has seen what the majority of us have not seen. But Iman, as we said, is more than just theoretical belief. There is, of course, belief in Allah, but there's also emotions that come with Iman. So these emotions are also in the heart. And so, for example, love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, having some type of fear of Allah. For example, having some, you know, uh, attachment to the Qur'an. Uh, these types of things that are, uh, they are called the uh, emotions of the heart. And there are many emotions of the heart. But the three main ones are love, fear, and hope. Love, fear, and hope. You love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you love what Allah loves. And you love the Qur'an. And you love the Prophet sallallahu You are scared at some level. Every believer has to have some fear of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and of the anger of Allah. You are hopeful in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're hopeful for good and you're hopeful for forgiveness. These are the three main emotions and the other emotions as well. So we said that Iman consists of knowledge and belief. Iman consists of emotions. Iman also consists of actions of the tongue. Uh, for those that uh, Allah has blessed to speak, those that don't, obviously they cannot, then they are forgiven. But those that are able to verbalize, they need to verbalize the kalima. They need to do adhkar, read Quran, say certain things that demonstrate that they are uh, Muslims and believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there must also be, point. Uh, the next point after this, is some actions of the body. In other words, 
if a person says that he or she is a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that iman must have some impact on one's life and lifestyle. If that iman has no impact whatsoever, then in reality, this is not technically iman, even if it is a type of knowledge. And as I said, uh, Iblis is the classic example of this, that he knows in, in his brain, in his heart, he knows, but he does not act upon it. And of course, that's scary for all of us because the question arises, I mean, what do you do when somebody says he or she is a Muslim, but then doesn't do anything that Islam tells him or her to do? And the fact of the matter is, those who have abandoned Islam in totality, there is no salah, there is no zakah, there is no hajj or desire to go for hajj, there is no fasting of Ramadan, and they're committing every major sin in the book, and they have no concept of a hereafter, even if they say we believe in it. Fact of the matter is that type of person, frankly, his iman is under doubt whether he actually has iman or not, or she has iman or not. Now we're not talking about the one who commits a sin, we're getting to that. We're talking about the one who flouts Islam and doesn't care. That's the one we're talking about. The one who his lifestyle or her lifestyle does not at all demonstrate an atom's bit of following the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine somebody never prays in his entire life, never lowers his head to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, never answers the Jumu'ah or any Jama'ah, never cares if it's Ramadan. That type of person, frankly our scholars, many of them have said that that type of person, if there's no salah throughout his or her entire life, there's no symbol of religiosity. Many of our scholars have said this person, you know, at least from an perspective. We're not talking about this world. In this world, we treat people based upon what they say. If they say they're a Muslim, they're going to be buried in the Muslim cemetery. You know, their marriage is valid, their inheritance will take place. But we're talking about the akhirah hukum or the ruling in the hereafter that theoretically speaking, we don't pass a judgment on individuals, theoretically speaking, anyone who completely, completely abandons any semblance of Islam, and in particular the salah and the zakah and the fasting of Ramadan. These are like the main pillars. And can you imagine a Muslim, Ramadan's around the corner. Can you imagine a Muslim is eating and drinking without an excuse every single day of Ramadan? Not even once is he or she, you know, listening to the Quran or, or, or praying to Allah in the month of Ramadan. Not even once is he or she concerned about any symbol of Islam then in reality the question arises, what is their level of iman? Is it acceptable in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And as I said, some of our ulama, some of our scholars of the past have said that that type of person in this world, if you say you're a Muslim, it's not our job to go and make a checklist. Did you pray? Did you fast? That's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then the angels that are assigned. But in the next world, theoretically speaking, a number of our scholars have said that the one who abandons the salah completely and the one who abandons all all of the uh, the symbols of Islam that this person is not considered a, a Muslim and that's something that should bring us pause. Now we also know from our uh, religion the Quran and Sunnah is very clear and this is something we actually experience. We don't even uh, need evidences from the Quran and Sunnah because we know this in our own daily lives. We know that our Iman in Allah it goes through phases, right? It's not stagnant. There are times when we are far more religious and there are times when we're not that religious. There are times when we're much more conscious of Allah. We are, we, are, we are trying our best. We're praying regularly. And then there are times some of us get lazy and we are falling short of our obligations. So iman increases and iman decreases. And of course, this is very explicit in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, for example, in Surah Al-Anfal, verse 2, the believers are those who, when Allah is mentioned, their hearts tremble. And when the verses of the Quran are recited to them, their iman goes up. Their iman goes up. So Allah explicitly says iman is going up. And this of course means that it must have been down in the first place for it to go up. And of course there are many other verses in the Quran. وَزِدْنَاهُمْ uh, huda. We increase their uh, guidance. Uh, that Allah Azza wa Jalla says uh, that um, He has sent down the sakina upon the hearts of the believers so that they can increase their iman from the iman that they had. And so it is very clear that iman is of levels. In, uh, our Prophet ﷺ said that whoever is able to change an evil with his hand, let him do that. If he cannot do it, let him change it 
with his tongue. And if he cannot even do that, let him hate the evil in his heart. And then he said, وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ الْإِيمَانِ And that is the weakest level of iman. So he clearly is saying iman is strong and iman is weak. That is the weakest level of iman. And so iman increases and decreases. And the reason why all of this is important is that obviously because one of the main factors that causes iman to go down is the concept of sins. And that's what we're going to, all of this is an introduction to the reality of sins, that we need to be careful of the sins that we commit. And we need to understand what a sin is. We need to understand the repercussions of the sins. And that's why I'm beginning by talking about iman, that as iman increases, sins decrease. And that's something that is common sense. And the Quran is very explicit about this. And as Iman decreases, sins increase. So they have a inverse uh, causal relationship. The more the one is, the less the other is going to be. So Iman is a various levels. And Iman has many stages and darajat. And our goal is to have obviously the highest level of Iman. And the highest levels of Iman means that our lifestyles will have the minimal, minimal, minimal number of uh, sins. And that's really the goal of this lecture today. Now, we said that we're going to have this topic about um, the, the reality of sin and the dangers of sins. Before we get there, we have to understand what is a sin and what are the categories of sins. Well, sins are of different categories. And the Qur'an mentions two primary categories of sins. The Qur'an classifies sins or disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in two primary categories. So the, uh, in Surah Al-Najm, verse 32, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an that the righteous, the good people that are going to Jannah, they are those who, الَّذِينَ يَجْتَنِبُونَ كَبَائِرَ الْإِثْمِ وَالْفَوَاحِشَ they are those who avoid kabair al-ithm. They avoid the major sins and they avoid the shameful deeds. As for the lamam, and the lamam, it means a touch type of thing. Like it literally just means like a touch type of thing, which is the expression that Allah is using for the minor sins. So Allah is saying there's something called kabair, kabira. And there's something called, yani the Quran does not mention in this verse, but another verse mentions uh, Sagheera. So the d- distinction in the Quran, there's something called a major sin, and there's something called a minor sin. And in Surah An-Nisa, verse 31, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, إِن تَجْتَنِبُوا كَبَائِرَ مَا تُنْهَوْنَ عَنْهُ نُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ وَنُدْخِلْكُمْ مُدْخَلًا كَرِيمًا this is a very, very important verse. I want you to ponder over it. Look it up again. Surah An-Nisa, verse 31. Look it up, read it, and understand it. Allah is saying, if you avoid the kabair, the big sins, then we shall cause your smaller sins to be forgiven. We will overlook the small sins. نُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيَّاتِكُمْ وَنُدْخِلْكُمْ مُدْخَلًا كَرِيمًا And we will cause you to enter Jannah, uh, a, a noble abode. This verse is very, very optimistic. It should make us happy that if we avoid the major sins, if we avoid the kabair, inshaAllah, there is a guarantee from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we will not enter Jahannam. Now this does not mean there will not be any punishment because there might be other punishments. There's punishments in this world. There's punishments at the time of death. There's punishments in the grave. There's punishments at resurrection. There's punishments on Qiyamah itself. There's punishments while crossing over the Sirat. All of these are punishments that might be for crimes that we have done that we have not repented from. But Allah is promising us that the worst punishment, and that is a punishment of Jahannam, the worst punishment will not be given to those who conscientiously avoided the major sins. And therefore it becomes imperative on all of us to know these major sins and then to avoid them. To know what they are and then to avoid them. Now uh, the issue of major and minor sin, perhaps the most explicit verse in the Quran is Surah Al-Kahf verse 49. This is perhaps the most explicit that there are two categories of sins. There's something called a kabira. And of course, kabir in Arabic means big, kabira feminine, because the sins in Arabic are feminine, and saghira, so a minor sin, a major sin and a minor sin. What is the verse, Surah Al-Kahf, verse 49? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
and the book shall be placed. So the sinners are going to be terrified in what is in it. And they will say, what is this book? Where, what is the problem with this book? Why is this book here? I don't want this book here. There is not a single kabira or a sagira except that I see it in this book. And whatever they themselves did, they will find it in that book. This book is not anything other than you are the author. You can't blame anybody else. On the day of judgment, you will see that book and that book will be brought in front of you and you will recognize it as your own book. You are the actual author of it. And you will say, مَا لِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ Or uh, the sinners shall say, we seek Allah's refuge that we are amongst those people. We don't want to be amongst those people. But they, and because some of us, inshallah, we will be amongst them to be forgiven. But those that are not going to be forgiven, those whose punishments will be based upon everything that they have done, they will say, مَا لِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ لَا يُغَادِرُ صَغِيرَةً وَلَا كَبِيرَةً إِلَّا أَحْصَاهَا They will say, what is the matter with this book? Why is this book here? It has captured every sagira and every kabira, And it has put them in their charts, ihsaha. It's all tabulated for us. It's all been, you know, put there for us. And this is, of course, very explicit that there are two types of sins, kabira and sagira. The notion of kabira and sagira, major and minor sins, is also found in the uh, sahih, in the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For example, in the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, min al-kabairi, of the kabira, of the major sins, is a man cursing his own father. So, uh, impetuous young man, if he gets angry and he utters curses at his own father, this is not a minor thing anymore. This is a major sin. But notice the first phrase, we are interested right now in the concept. Our Prophet said, of the major sins, which means there are something called major sins and there are something called minor sins. We also learn that minor sins, generally speaking, minor sins, they can be forgiven with our regular good deeds. And that's a very, very positive point. Minor sins can be uh, expiated, kafara. They can be washed away. They can be cleansed by our regular performance of the rituals of Islam. And this makes perfect sense because Allah is saying that if you avoid the major sins, then you will come on the Day of Judgment and your minor sins will not cause you to go to Jahannam. And I will make sure, I will make sure that you enter the noble place of Jannah. So what's going to happen to the minor sins when they're not going to be uh, problematic on the Day of Judgment necessarily? We're going to get to the, obviously all of what I'm saying is an introduction. We're going to get to the more detailed nitty gritty in a while. Uh, what is going to happen to the minor sins? Well, for the righteous the minor sins will be absolved by their good deeds. The good deeds that they do will serve as a mechanism to forgive the minor sins. And the evidences for this are many. For example, in the hadith that I want everybody to understand and memorize, our Prophet ﷺ said, the five salawats and one Jumu'ah to the next Jumu'ah and one Ramadan to the next Ramadan is a forgiveness for all the sins that is done between them as long as the major sins are avoided. So the five prayers that we pray and Jumu'ah to Jumu'ah, going one Jumu'ah to the next Jumu'ah. And we ask Allah to lift this waba and this plague upon us because these days we're not able uh, to even perform our Jumu'ah prayers but of course we are forgiven Allah knows our intention and Allah knows we want to pray Jumu'ah and innamal amalu bin niyat so from one Jumu'ah to the next Jumu'ah and Ramadan to the next Ramadan fasting our Prophet sallallahu said they shall forgive a kafara all of the sins between them as long as the major sins are avoided. This is a very, very important hadith. It is in Bukhari and Muslim. The one who prays five times a day, the one who prays five times a day, the prayer itself shall act as a cleansing for his minor sins. The one who goes regularly to Jumu'ah, 
the one who fasts Ramadan and eagerly waits for the next Ramadan, the one who is a practicing Muslim, in our vernacular we say the practicing Muslim, the one who is observing, uh, the observant Muslim we call this person, uh, the one who is observing the rituals, by the fact that he or she is observing the rituals, in and of itself it will be a cleansing of all of these minor sins, which indicates, by the way, that a major sin is not forgiven simply by doing the rituals. So if you do dhulm to somebody else, if you steal somebody's money, we're going to come to the issue, the issue of major sins and what they are. You know, if you murder somebody or you slander somebody, uh, these types of sins are not forgiven by simply doing the rituals. Doing the rituals is not going to get you off the hook for the major sins that you have done. That is a separate issue. Now, how do we get rid of major sins? We're going, we're going to talk about this, inshallah, in uh, part two. But uh, right now, just to briefly um, understand that major sins can only be forgiven with a specific tawbah or repentance that is done for that major sin. Minor sins, you don't need a specific tawbah, you need a generic tawbah. You need a tawbah that is broad, that, oh Allah, I've done a lot of sins, forgive me. That is generic tawbah. You don't have to list every single sin that you've done that's minor in nature. You know, a nuisance or maybe a lustful gaze is, is an example of a minor sin, right? That, you know, you did something that you shouldn't have done, that your thoughts wandered and your eyes wandered and you did something, you saw, saw something you shouldn't have seen. And it's not good to do that. It's definitely not good to do that. But that's not the same as killing somebody, is it, right? It's not on the same list as that, right? So what our Prophet wasallam is saying is that, you know, if you have a, a slip that's of a minor nature, and you are regular in your salawat. This is not an excuse to commit the slip of, as we're going to come to. But we're saying somebody who's done a minor sin. Then you pray regularly. You do wudu. You fast Ramadan. Those ones, then you raise your hands to Allah and say, Oh Allah, I have a lot of sins. Forgive me. So in your mind, you don't have to think of every single time. You just overall, Oh Allah, I have a lot of sins. Now, the same does not apply when there is a major sin. A major sin cannot be forgiven with just doing wudu and praying. A major sin requires a specific act of repentance for that major sin. And in case somebody's haqq has been taken, in case you have hurt somebody, harmed somebody, embezzled from somebody, stolen from somebody, another person is involved, then you also need to make up to that person as well in order for your acceptance, tawbah to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, understand that a major sin cannot be forgiven with the rituals. Now, what exactly is a major sin versus a minor sin? What exactly is a major versus a minor sin? And the reality is that this topic is one in which you have quite a lot of technical um, uh, def definitions. You have a lot of scholars discussing um, uh, advanced issues, and I don't want to go into the different opinions out there. I'm going to be very generic and say, some group of ulama has defined a major sin as that sin in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down a punishment that is explicit or that Allah azza wa jal links with his la'na or his ghadab or his adab. So any punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said there is a worldly, any sin, excuse me, in which Allah has said there is a worldly punishment for. So for example, for when you kill somebody, a murderer, there is a worldly punishment, right? You're the, the, you will go to the court of law, and the court of law will then uh, uh, enact the punishment against you. Uh, you know, if you slander uh, in a very evil manner, and of course slander here means to accuse chaste people of indecent and lewd deeds. If you accuse a person, male or female, of uh, engaging in uh, a type of, you know, uh, like a, a basically adultery or whatnot, and you don't have the witnesses or you don't have evidence for this, then this is a type of slander. And the sharia will punish you for slander. There are laws that are in place. If you steal, you break and enter and you steal, and you terrify somebody. So, by the way, the shari punishment for, uh, for theft, it is only enacted after a lot of conditions are met, which most people gloss over. Uh, and of those conditions, according to the stronger uh, position and opinion out there, there must be an act of intimidation, or there must be something that is done that you are breaking and entering. Uh, 
uh, and you are causing people to be terrified and scared. Highway robbery is another example that is punished. And you literally stop uh, in those days when there was caravans going between cities, you would have gangs, called them the mafia, right? This is basically what it is, where you will stop the caravan and you will take out a weapon or something as a hand over your stuff. That is highway robbery. And the Sharia is very explicit that the punishment for highway robbery is very, very clear and very harsh. These are major sins. You cannot compare uh, a lustful gaze or uh, you said something that was untrue. That's definitely a sin to say something that is untrue, you know, to tell a lie. That is definitely a sin. And you have to answer to Allah for that sin. And it is something that is not good. And it is something that is leading to Jahannam. And it's a sign of a bad character. And somebody who does this a lot is on his way to hypocrisy. All of this is right. But in the end of the day, if you say something that is not true, it is a sin, but it's not the same as highway robbery, is it? It's not the same as murder, is it? So this is why our sharia has come with gradations of sins. Not all the sins are the same. And we need to be very, very clear. Saying that sins are minor doesn't mean that they are trivial. Not at all. It simply means that compared to the major sins relative to murder... If you say a lie, that is minor. That's really what it is about, right? Relative to murdering somebody, relative to highway robbery, you know, lustful gaze is not healthy. You shouldn't do that. And it is overall a very bad thing, but it's not in the same category. So it is a minor sin in comparison to the major one. It is not minor in the sense that you don't have to worry about it. And our scholars have said that don't look at the gravity of the sin. Look at the maqam or the status of the one against whom you have sinned. Don't look at whether it's mine. Don't worry about these technicalities. That's for fiqh. For the spiritual side, look at the fact that you have disobeyed the one that who uh, created you. So we need to be careful about this issue of major and minor. It does not mean at all that a minor sin is negligible is overlooked, that we can ignore it. Also, we said, so therefore the Sharia divides sins into major and minor. Within major, there are also, uh, there's a category that is called the most major of the major sins, Akbarul Kabair. Some of them have also called them, the, the hadith term is Al-Mubiqat, or the seven deadly sins. So even within major sins, not all sins, even within the major ones are of the same uh, level. There are the seven extra deadly sins, al-mubiqat. And of course, we will talk about all of these inshallah ta'ala uh, over the course of this lecture and the next lecture inshallah as well. Uh, so for example, the greatest sin out of all sins, and there is no sin that is a greater sin than this, is the sin of shirk of worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this sin is, even though it is a major sin, in reality it has its own category because that sin is so big that you cannot remain a Muslim and worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So shirk is of categories. And to believe in another God besides Allah is shirk. To believe in another creator besides Allah is shirk. Uh, to uh, give an act of worship to another entity, knowing it is an act of worship, intending it to be an act of worship. This is uh, shirk. And uh, obviously, for a Muslim, we firmly believe that the one unforgivable sin in Islam, if you die in that state, is the sin of shirk. So the biggest of all big sins is shirk. Akbarul kabair. Number one, the Prophet said, Al-Ishraqu Billahi Ta'ala is committing shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is not anything that is at the same level even as other sins. And we believe that a Muslim uh, can commit a major sin and remain a Muslim. They're a bad Muslim. They're a, uh, a Muslim that has to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they're still a Muslim. The one sin that if a person does it, he or she leaves the fold of Islam is this category of essentially shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, uh, shirk has many categories and types, and this is not the place to get into this. And there are things that a person can do uh, that are symptomatic of shirk, 
and uh, they would be considered expelling one from Islam if it is done intentionally. And our scholars give uh, examples of this, that the very mentioning of these examples should make our skin stand on end and our hearts skip a beat and we fear even the mentioning of it should make us terrified. For example, our scholars mention that if a person, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, for even saying this, were to take the Qur'an, knowing it is the Qur'an, and intentionally disrespect the Qur'an, intentionally, our hearts should stand on, our, our hair should stand on end, the very thought of somebody doing this, because you are challenging the status of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the nobility of the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, somebody can say this isn't technically shirk, you're not worshipping other than Allah. And the response is, it's, you are technically correct that it's not shirk if you disrespect the Qur'an, but it is kufr. And kufr and shirk are, uh, the technical term is mutalaziman, or one of them leads to the other end. Uh, let's leave that for a, 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 maybe another class discussion. But for now, I just wanted to say, we're talking about categories of sins, and we said there's something called major, and there's something called minor. And I said within major, there is the worst of all categories, and that is shirk, and you can also say kufr over here. This is the worst category of sin. And it is different than other categories of major sin. Because if a Muslim intentionally, now we say intentionally because if I didn't know that this was the Qur'an and I accidentally dropped it, obviously we all know accidentally not intending is a different thing. So that's why I say intentionally commits an act of kufr, intentionally does something that is displeasing, uh, a challenge to the authority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are many um, examples of this that, if a person does that, then this is no longer just a sin. It's one thing to commit a sin for lust, for power, for money, for anything. And that is a sin. And it does not negate iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is another thing to do something knowing that it is shirk and kufr and uh, uh, knowing what it is. And in that case, we say this person has left the fold of Islam. And if they want to repent, this requires a new shahada and a new re-entering into uh, Islam. So the concept, therefore, of a major sin itself, there's something called a major sin that leads to, or that is shirk and kufr. And then there are other major sins as well. Now, another issue that is very commonly uh, said is that somebody who commits a habitual minor sin, somebody who is addicted to a minor sin, some of our scholars have said that a habitual minor sin is considered a major sin. Now, this is an opinion out there, and many famous scholars have said this. But technically speaking, uh, a habitual minor sin does not necessarily become a major sin. And it is possible for a habitual minor sin to remain a minor sin. And it is also possible that a habitual minor sin, uh, if you're addicted to something that is a minor sin, and you are always doing this, does that make you a major sinner? Does that lead you to the level of kabira or not? And uh, the position that I follow is that Potentially yes, but also potentially uh, no. And it really depends on uh, the person's state of mind and frame of mind. So if a person becomes completely lackadaisical in his heart, he feels no big deal. He feels a complete lack of any sense of haya, of any sense of guilt, of any sense of I'm committing a sin. Then it is very possible that a habitual minor sin becomes a major sin, not because of the minor sin, but because of the somewhat arrogance that comes in the heart, because that arrogance is the major sin, not the sin itself. And it is possible that if a person commits a minor sin and feels guilty and knows it is a minor sin and asks Allah for repentance and then falls into it again and then falls into it again, that this person remains in the realm of committing minor uh, sins. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Also, our scholars have mentioned, Ibn al-Qayyim uh, is one of those who goes into this um, in a lot of detail, that sins are really of also performed for different reasons. So you have a sin that is performed out of lust, out of desire, and, you ha and then you have a sin that is performed out of arrogance. And between the two, there is no question that the sin that is done for lust, the sin that is done for desire, is a lesser sin than the sin that is done out of arrogance. And the classic example is Iblis and Adam. Iblis and Adam. The both of them disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
one of them, our father Adam, he is our father. He, why did he do what he did? We understand exactly why he did because we were all his children. He wanted something. There was a desire in him to live a long life, right? It was the desire to live a long life. And he lusted for eternality. And he committed the sin. That is a sin. And Allah forgave him. Iblis committed the sin. And what was the reason for Iblis committing the sin? Why did Iblis commit the sin that he did? Iblis committed the sin out of arrogance, out of pride. Allah says in the Quran, Aba wastakbara wa kana min al kafirin. Iblis was arrogant and he rejected and he became of the kafirin. So the sin of Adam السلام, was the sin of desire and lust. In Arabic we call it shahwa and that's bad. But much worse than this is the sin of arrogance and that is the worst category of sins. And if you look at most of the sins that most Muslims do, they are done out of lust and desire. And that's something that is definitely bad. We crave a sensual pleasure. We crave intimacy when we should not be having it with somebody. We crave drinking something that is haram for us to drink. You know, these are shahawat and they're definitely not uh, good. It should not be done. But these are Adamic sins. These are sins that our father Adam, that type of genre we're talking about, which is the shahwa. And the other example of this is the sin of Iblis. And the sin of Iblis is the sin of, of, I don't care what Allah says, I don't care. Allah said to Iblis, bow down to Adam. And Iblis said, no, I'm not going to bow down. I am better than him. And that is the sin of arrogance. And that is very, very, very difficult to imagine coming from a Muslim. A Muslim, a true, genuine person of Iman, might commit sins of shahwa. But the sin of kibr, the sin of arrogance, this is the sin that comes from those who reject God, reject religion, reject religiosity. That is a sin that is unforgivable in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now we also said that sins in and of themselves, uh, you can be a Muslim and you can commit major sins. And this is something that is very, very important to point out. That sins that are major or minor, do not expel one from being a Muslim unless we go to that category that is called shirk and kufr that we already mentioned, right? Worshipping other than Allah or rejecting Allah or rejecting something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knowing it is from Allah. That is a sin that it is inconceivable that comes from a Muslim. However, the major sins that we're all familiar with like drinking or gambling or drugs or you know all these types of sins you know uh, uh, sensual pleasures these are all major sins when they're done in an improper manner uh, drinking alcohol or you know these types of things these are major sins a person who does these sins still remains a muslim no one has the right to call a sinner a'udhu billah a kafir a'udhu billah because that sinner remains a Muslim. And there are many, many evidences for this. Of them is the very famous uh, uh, evidence, which is, uh, we just quoted it, that Surah An-Nisa, verse 48, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah will never forgive the sin of shirk, but Allah may forgive anything lesser than shirk. This is very explicit. So drinking is lesser than shirk. Gambling is lesser than shirk. Sensual pleasures is lesser than shirk. So Allah is saying, if I want, I can forgive this, which clearly shows that this person remains a Muslim and has the potential to answer, enter Jannah. Also, uh, there are so many narrations that mention this, the famous one of Abu Hurairah radiallahu an, that uh, our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that Whoever says La ilaha illallah from his heart shall enter Jannah. Our scholars say this means shall eventually enter Jannah. And Abu Hurairah said, Ya Rasulullah, even if he drinks alcohol and even if he uh, commits zina or fornication, and the Prophet said, even if he drinks alcohol and commits zina, meaning eventually, because some of those people will enter Jahannam and then enter Jannah, and some shall be forgiven because of their repentance to Allah, and some shall be forgiven because of their good deeds, and some shall be forgiven because of the shafa'ah. All of this is, again, we've covered it in other lectures, and uh, I'm just going over it quickly now. But the hadith, Abu Hurairah said, O Messenger of Allah, what if he drank? 
And what if he fornicated? And the Prophet said, even if he shall eventually enter Jannah. What if he drank and fornicated a second time? Even if. The third time Abu Huraira said this, our Prophet said that even if he did this, and even if Abu Huraira doesn't want him to enter. Meaning Abu Huraira, you can object as much as you want. The Muslim shall eventually be forgiven. Now, this should not be taken as an excuse to say, oh, in that case, let me go and drink and let me go and fornicate. On the contrary, those who take this as an excuse are exemplifying the sin of arrogance, which is the bigger sin in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the sin itself. Bigger than drinking is the sin of arrogance, I don't care what Allah said. Bigger than the sin of fornication is the sin of care, not even caring that it is haram. That is the bigger sin. And so the one who embraces this lifestyle and doesn't feel anything in his or her heart, this person has committed a bigger sin by the nature of being disconnected from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. As well. Even if the one, uh, uh, the, the, the person who commits the sin uh, remains a Muslim, this does not mean that they will not be punished in the hereafter. Because we know from many traditions in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, we know from many traditions that there shall be people who were Muslims and they shall enter the fire of hell. We seek Allah's refuge for major sins that they have committed. Remember, minor sins, minor sins can never cause a person to enter Jahannam. Minor sins, whatever punishment is done, it's not going to be punished in Jahannam. But a major sin potentially will be punished in Jahannam. Now the question to any one of us here, would you like to even consider and contemplate being in that place of Jahannam even for a fraction of time? Is it worth 10 minutes of pleasure, 50 minutes of pleasure, a lifetime of pleasure to remain even a hundred years or 50 or a half a day? Remember, one day uh, is a thousand years, so a half a day is 500 years, right? Is it worth that pleasure to be facing Allah's punishment on the day of judgment for that period of time? And obviously every sane and rational person will say it is not worth that uh, punishment. And so from this we get to the, the, the point which is again very, very explicit in the Quran and Sunnah. The one who commits a major sin that is not kufr and shirk, such as stealing, such as gambling, such as drugs, such as fornication, even such as murder. Murder is the worst, worst, worst sin you can do and still remain a Muslim. Murder is the worst sin you can do. And we learn in the famous hadith in Sahih Bukhari that our Prophet ﷺ said, there was a man who killed 99 people in his lifetime. 99 people. He's a mass murderer of the worst type. And then he decided to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and turn over a new leaf. And uh, long story short, he kills 100 person people and then he journeys away from that land and he wants to repent and turn over a new leaf and he's sincerely guilty for what he has done. And on the way to turn over a new leaf, he dies. And the angels come to take his soul. The angels of punishment come, they want to punish him. The angels of forgiveness come, they want to forgive him. And eventually, basically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives this person. Even though he had killed a hundred people, but he had genuine repentance. Genuine, I want to be a better person. May Allah forgive me. He wants to turn over. And the one way that causes any sin to be forgiven, even the sin of shirk, by the way, because when Allah says, Allah shall not forgive the sin of shirk. What he means, which is clear in the Quran and from the lifetimes of the Sahaba, Allah shall not forgive the sin of shirk if you don't repent from shirk. How do you repent from shirk? By embracing Islam. Many of the Sahaba were idol worshippers before they accepted Islam. Allah forgave their sins and made them the best of the best. How many amongst us are converts? They would worship a false god, they would worship an idol, they would worship a human being, and then they accepted the kalima. Has not Allah forgiven their shirk? Of course. So. Allah forgives the sin of shirk when the person himself or herself asks for forgiveness and that is accepting Islam. If a person does not and remains worshipping a false god and dies in that state, then that sin shall never be forgiven. So back to our point of major sins are, are uh, up to Allah. If Allah wants to forgive, Allah will forgive. And if Allah wants to punish, Allah will punish. But the person remains a Muslim. Of the evidences for this is the famous hadith of Ubadah ibn al-Samit, Ubadah 
Ibn al-Samit, that our Prophet ﷺ took an oath of allegiance from uh, the, the first batch of Muslim women that converted, and he said to them, give me your oath of allegiance, that you will not commit shirk, and that you will not steal, and that you will not fornicate, and that you will not kill your offspring. Remember, they would bury their daughters alive. And then he said, that whoever fulfills this and manages to pass the test, your reward is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever falls into any of these sins, so you're not going to fornicate or or, or murder or or steal, whoever falls into any of these sins, our Prophet said, and is punished in this world, that punishment shall be a kafara. If you are caught and you are punished, that's a kafara. And whoever commits these sins secretly, we don't catch you. You will be left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah wills, He shall forgive. And if Allah wills, He shall punish. This hadith is in Sahih Bukhari. And it is as explicit as humanly possible. Those people who committed major sins, and they didn't repent. Again, all of this is for not repenting. Dear Muslims, I've said this five times, I'll say it again. Repentance forgives all sins, all of them, even shirk. Of course, the question arises, have you fully repented? And that's something you always are going to be, have I done enough to make up for what I've done? That's definitely a fear and a tension that should always remain until we die. But theoretically, conceptually, repentance forgives all sins. The person who does not repent, let's give a standard example. There are those who are addicted to drinking. And every once in a while, they'll drink and they'll drink and they'll drink. And they have in their houses, may Allah protect us, a'udhu billah. They have in their houses, yani, you know, mini bars and they have yani, sharab in their houses. And they're drinking till the day they die and the janazah is done. And in their house is their beer and their wine, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah. So they didn't repent. Clearly, they're still there. What is their fate? This hadith of Ubadah ibn al-Samit, remember it. Whoever commits a sin and it's between them and Allah. We don't, we're not obliged to go open his house and see what he's doing. It's between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our Prophet said, it is up to Allah. If Allah wants, he shall forgive. Why would Allah forgive? Maybe, just maybe, this person did a lot of good deeds, and they know they're a sinner. And they recognize, you know what, I know I'm a drunkard, I know I'm addicted to alcohol, and because of that, I have to do extra good. I'm going to sponsor an orphan every month, I'm going to build a hospital, I'm going to make sure that I'm extra good to my relatives and parents, and whatever it might be. Allah knows the struggle that He has in Himself. You don't know, I don't know. And Allah knows what He's going through. And Allah knows He feels very guilty for His sin, and He knows it's a major sin, and He tries to make up in other ways. We never know. Allah is the judge, not me, not you. And so on, uh, on the day of judgment, Allah will say to this person, you are a major sinner and you deserve to go to Jahannam. But in light of all that you have done, I shall forgive you. And he might be forgiven and enter Jannah, even though he was dr- a drunkard in this world. That's up to Allah. Or the other, the Prophet said, and if Allah wants, he might be punished as well. So this person can be brought and Allah will say to him that you drank and you don't have any semblance of guilt and you're a regular drunkard and he might be punished for a while in Jahannam. But if he was a Muslim and he had salah and he had zakah and he had siyam and he's doing some basic minimal things of Islam and he has iman in his heart, as our Prophet said, whoever has an atom's weight of iman shall eventually be taken out. So he shall be in Jahannam for as long as his punishment was to be in Jahannam and then he shall enter uh, uh, Jannah after that. And this is again very clear that you can commit a major sin and still remain a Muslim. And that's something that when, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately some people, they are too hasty and in their ignorance they will say things that are very, very dangerous to say. And they'll make accusations against other Muslims and they're going to call other Muslims, oh, you're not a Muslim because you're doing this sin. A'udhu billah, a'udhu billah. Sins, no matter how many they are, do not expel one from Islam unless the sin is kufr and shirk. That's something else as we said. Otherwise, the generic sins do not expel one from Islam. And I'm going to conclude with two traditions and inshallah our time is up. Of the evidences that sins do not uh, expel one from Islam are uh, multiple things. Of them, number one, 
uh, the famous hadith in Sahih Bukhari that uh, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu ta'ala an, he addressed uh, Bilal ibn uh, Abi Rabah, uh, he addressed Bilal ibn Abi Rabah with a very derogatory term. As you know, um, Bilal was a person uh, who was of an African background and heritage. And Abu Dhar was from what was considered to be a noble uh, heritage. And one time, Abu Dhar got very angry at Bilal. And he said a slur, a very bad thing. And he said, you son of a black lady. A'udhu billah, a'udhu billah. You son of a black lady. This is a major sin to be arrogant and to be a racist. Iblis was the first racist. To think that you are better than somebody else, a'udhu billah, this is a major sin. And to think that your race is better than somebody else's race, and then to make fun of and to denigrate a person because of another race, a'udhu billah. Our Prophet passed by and Abu Dhar was saying this to Bilal. The Prophet said to Abu Dhar, did you criticize him because of his mother? You put to demean him because of the skin color of his mother? You are a man that has jahiliyyah inside of you. This was the verdict, harsh, immediate, but it was not kufr, it was not shirk. You can be a racist and a bad person, but you're still within Islam. You can be a person who is drunkard, but still within Islam. By the way, when the Prophet said this, Abu Dhar began crying. He literally, literally fell down on the ground and put his cheek on the sand and he lifted Bilal's head and he said, put it here and I ask for your forgiveness. Uh, Bilal's foot, sorry. He literally begged for Bilal's forgiveness in front of him. And Bilal kissed him on the forehead and said, I'm not going to put my feet on you. Kissed him and he put him up. And that's why Bilal is the noble Bilal that he is, that he forgave. It was, a, and after that, Abu Dhar never returned to this. This is, this is exactly what the mu'min does. He falls into a sin, he recognizes the sin, and he turns over a new leaf. That was a one-off mistake. Abu Dhar did it, and he never returned to it after that. That is the essence of Iman. All of us make mistakes. The true believer once that mistake is done, you recognize it and say, no, I'm not going to do this again. And you turn over a new leaf. So this is an evidence that clearly indicates that you can commit a major sin and still be a Muslim because Abu Dhar, our Prophet said to him, you still have elements of jahiliyyah, which means elements of kufr. But he didn't call him a kafir. That's the key point here. You're a person who has these elements of kufr, but he didn't call him a kafir. And the final evidence I'm going to mention, which shows you the dangers of thinking yourself better than other people. Hadith is in Sahih Muslim. That our Prophet uh, said that there was once uh, two people, two neighbors. One of them would go to the mosque or the, the temple. This was in the Bani Israel time. So he's going to the temple all the time. He's going to the synagogue all the time. And the other one was a drunkard. And every time the guy from the going to the masjid back and forth would pass by, he would see him drinking. Okay. So he would say to him, leave your drink, stop drinking. And he would go back and forth, back and forth. And then uh, one day, the guy who was drinking got irritated at the guy going to the masjid all the time. Listen to this. This is really eye-opening. And it is terrifying for any one of us who thinks that we are better than other people. The guy who was drinking got irritated at the one going to the masjid all the time and said, Why don't you leave me mind my own business? Who are you telling me all the time to give up drinking? Go mind your own business. Did Allah make you my manager? Now, he was being rude. No doubt about it being rude, and on top of that, he's drinking. These are two major sins, the contemptuousness of like, just mind your own business, and his own drinking. But what was the response of the masjid goer? What was the response of the guy who was not drinking, and who was giving advice? He became arrogant. And he said, Wallahi, you are so evil, Allah will never forgive you. Subhanallah. The sin of the first person now became his own ego. I am the one going to Jannah and you're going to Jahannam. You see, sometimes a little bit of worship causes your ego to become so big that you forget you are also a sinner.
So this man, when he got irritated at the drunkard, and the drunkard responded back with rudeness. It was rude, it wasn't kufr. It was harsh, but it was still within the realm of back and forth and minor sins. His, his drinking is a major sin, and then his irritation is a minor. It's like saying, get out of here, who are you to mind your own business, right? But the first man, the one who is the masjid, goer and whatnot, right? What he said infringed on Allah's right. Who are you, O son of Adam, to assign heaven and hell? And that is exactly what our Prophet said, that when the man said this, Allah said, did you use my name? You said, Wallahi, did you use my name to deprive him of my own punishment and reward? Who are you to speak in my name? This is what the hadith says. Who are you to make a promise that Wallahi, Allah is not going to forgive you? And because of your arrogance, Allah says in the hadith, because of that, all of your good deeds have gone to vain. And I have forgiven the drunkard. Meaning the drunkard was a drunkard, but deep down inside, there's still a level of I'm a sinner. I know I'm a bad person. I hope Allah forgives me. Whereas the first person had lost humility and he had become arrogant. And the sin of arrogance is a bigger sin than the sin of drinking. That's the point here that we... Now the point, of course, I'm going into the other tangent, which we need to go into this tangent. But the point here, the drunkard did not cease being a Muslim simply because he was a drunkard. And in the hadith, hadith is authentic and Sahih Muslim, Allah Himself says, I shall forgive the drunkard, but you, O son of Adam, who has used my name to speak on my behalf, who appointed you to pretend to be God? And so that person is not going to be forgiven, even though outwardly he was the religious man, the righteous man going back and forth to the masjid and whatnot, but in his heart there was that level of arrogance. That is the bigger sin than the sin of drinking. The point here, of course, that we're saying is that drinking in and of itself is a sin, but it doesn't expel you from Islam. Uh, We've come to the conclusion of part one. There are some questions here, inshallah ta'ala, and I'll do some of them and we'll, we'll continue, inshallah, in our next uh, halaqa uh, in this regard. That, uh, the first question we have is that um, you said that the greatest major sin is shirk and worshipping others than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How about uh, atheism uh, when what do, one doesn't believe in anything? Uh, so atheism is a type of shirk. Atheism is a type of shirk. And that is because when you assign the powers of creation and of uh, khalq to other than Allah, you are essentially creating a God besides Allah, even if you don't call that God, God. So when you say that nature created all of us, right? Then in your minds, you have stripped away the haq of Allah, and you have given it to the another entity that you have created. And of course, as Allah says of the idols, these are mere names that you have said. There is no reality to them. In hiya illa asma'un sammaytumuha antum wa aba'ukum. When you call upon Allat, Al-Uzza, Manat, Allah is saying they don't really exist. They're simply names. So when modern atheists say science tells us this nature, what is science and nature? What is it? You have mentioned these names. You have to remove Allah from the picture and you have to say something else. According to the laws of nature. What are the laws of nature? Who decided these laws? You can remove God verbally, but you have to assign something else in His place. And so you use these words. So from the technical standpoint, an atheist has committed shirk because they have taken away the haqq of Allah and they have given that haqq to another entity that is a false word. It's just a name that has no existence, just like the mushrik has done as well. A question we have over here is that... um, (laughs) <laughs> somebody is very irritated that we have closed the masjid. So he said, is closing the masjid shirk? <laughs> They're very angry that the masjid has been closed. May Allah reward you for your sincerity, dear brother or sister. Uh, closing the masjid is a major sin when it is done with the intention of preventing people from worshipping Allah without any reason. Allah says in the Quran, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّا مَنْعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ Who does more zulm than the one who shuts down the masajid and prevents people from coming there? This is an act of zulm. 
as for us shutting the masajid down, it is not done for dhulm. It is done for your protection and my protection. It is done for the protection of the Muslim ummah. And Allah says in the Quran, وَلَا تُلْقُ بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَةِ And do not cause your own destruction with your own hands. And that is why, dear uh, Muslim, I understand you are pain. Wallahi, all of us are pained. And yet I say to you, that this is the fatwa, not just of myself and the Fiqh Council of North America, but across the globe, from Morocco to Turkey, to Emirates, to Saudiya, ulama across the globe who know this religion better than me and you, they have understood. We are not telling people to not worship Allah. Neither are we telling people to not do jama'ah in their homes amongst family members. We are saying, now that we understand what the dangers are of uh, congregating and the fact that this virus is potentially lethal and that this is going to be a major problem, that it is not wise. In fact, it is sinful to flout this ban. So I understand um, uh, your concern, but it is not in its place. We'll take one more question, then inshallah we'll continue next time uh, as well. That... uh, what happens if you feel that you are not worthy of Allah's forgiveness and you become anxious and paralyzed, that you're always worried that Allah will not forgive me? So two things. Number one, this is from the greatest tricks of shaitan. Of the greatest tricks of shaitan is to make you feel you are not worthy of being forgiven. And number two, to persist in this and to make it something that you believe eventually. It's one thing to feel that way and fight it, which is fine. It's one thing to be overcome by doubt, and then you fight those doubts and you seek Allah's repentance. It's another to allow those doubts to seep into your heart and to then start believing, I'm too guilty, Allah can never forgive me, Allah's never gonna forgive me. If you actually believe this, then a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, you have committed one of the biggest of all sins, which is to accuse Allah's rahmah of being insufficient for you. I mean, subhanAllah, dear makhluq, dear created being, who are you and all of your sins to challenge the rahmah of Allah? Do you understand how foolish it is, frankly, how arrogant it is to say, my sins are so much that Allah cannot forgive them. You are dealing with ar-Rahman, ar-Rahim, ar-Hamur Rahimin. You are dealing with the one whose rahmah was divided into 100 parts, one of which was sent down to this world. And all of the rahmah from the beginning of the creation to the end of the creation is manifested in that one out of 99. And Allah says on the day of judgment, all of that 99 will be used up for my creation. And then you come along single-handedly and you say, I am too sinful, Allah cannot forgive me. Subhanallah, who are you and what are your sins in comparison to the rahmah of Allah? That very attitude itself is a bigger sin than all of the sins that you have ever committed. And that's why our Prophet said, hadith is in Muslim Imam Ahmad. And listen to this, أَكْبَرُ الْكَبَائِرِ الْإِشْرَاكُ بِاللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَالْقُنُوتُ مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى The biggest of all sins. Number one, to worship other than Allah. Number two, to give up hope of Allah's rahmah. Think about that. This is a hadith in Muslim Imam Ahmad, authentic hadith. The biggest of all sins is... Number one, to worship a false god. Number two, to say that the real God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, cannot forgive me. That is linked to the sin of shirk because by limiting Allah's rahmah, you have shown an arrogance, an impetuousness that is truly mind-boggling. Allah can forgive you and an infinite amount of you and His rahmah would still be infinite. So for you to come along and say, I am too sinful, on the contrary, that in and of itself is a bigger sin than all of your sins and that is why Allah says in the Qur'an, that وَلَا تَيْأَسُ مِنْ رَوْحِ اللَّهِ Do not give up hope of the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala إِنَّهُ لَا يَيْأَسُ مِنْ رَوْحِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الظَّالِمُونَ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الْكَافِرُونَ The only people who give up hope of Allah's mercy are the قَوْمُ الظَّالِمُونَ and the قَوْمُ الْكَافِرُونَ And we are not from the قَوْمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Dear Muslim sister, dear sister in Islam, never, ever, ever, ever give up hope of Allah's mercy. Allah forgives all sins. I'll conclude this uh, part by reminding ourselves in the Quran that قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقُنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ Allah is speaking to those of us who have committed sins upon sins upon sins. And Allah says, don't give up hope of Allah's rahmah. 
Allah can and will forgive all sins if you ask Allah's forgiveness. So we ask Allah to forgive all of our sins, the big of them, the small of them, the major of them, the minor of them. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to absolve us of all that we have ever done and all that we're going to do. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow our good deeds to be kafarat, our salah and our zakah and our fasting and our dhikr and our Quran and our wudu. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, he, we, we, that we leave this world without any sin of ours, that we are cleansed like a white cloth is cleansed. As the Prophet said that just like a white cloth, you don't even any trace on it. That is the type of, 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 of cleansing that we want. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that our evil is actually converted into good and we'll talk about that in our next lesson, how that is possible. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the tawwab, the rahim, the rahman, the rahim, the arhamur rahimin. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his infinite rahmah and maghfirah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be of those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran that those who repent and do good deeds, Allah shall convert their evil into good. And inshallah I will continue this uh, in our our next uh, lesson uh, when we'll talk about the types of sins and some of the examples of sins and also we'll talk about uh, the dangers of committing uh, sins and until then assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh innal muslimina wal muslimati wal mu'minina wal mu'minati wal qanitina wal qanitati was sadiqina was sadiqati was sabirina was sabirati wal khashi'ina wal khashi'at wal khashi'ina wal khashi'ati wal mutasaddiqina wal mutasaddiqati was sa'imina was sa'imat wal hafizina furujahum wal hafizati wal dhakirina allah kathira مغفرة وأجرا عظيما